Welcome to Naturally Nourished, a food is medicine podcast that delivers cutting-edge information and solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought out by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only and should not be used in place of any medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from a licensed health professional. Now welcome your host, Allie Miller, Integrative Dietitian and owner of Naturally Nourished, and her Vice President, Integrative Dietitian Carly Vogler. Welcome back, everyone, to Episode 6. How are you doing, Carly? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. So, hey, listeners, I know you might be tuning on during any month of the year, and, and we're happy you're doing that, but you are listening to us recording in October, and October is, of course, the Go Pink campaign. We're seeing pink on many things. I know the NFL is a big sponsor, pink shoes, pink gloves, pink on your plastic water bottles, and pink on your Dan and yogurt lids. And a lot of this is supporting the uh, Susan G. Komen Breast Cancer Foundation. And I, I think that I'm a huge, of course, I'm a huge proponent of breast cancer awareness. I think that helps to raise money for research. But some of the disheartening elements of the Go Pink is that a lot of the products, you know, that, that have the pink label might have endocrine disruptors or things that scramble your hormones or refined sugars or artificial sweeteners, things that can lead to insulin resistance and maybe not be the most supportive for, for breast cancer prevention or treatment. Yeah, I think the obvious positive is that it's everywhere and people know that it's there and it, yes. you're seeing it. People are more aware of it. People care about it. Everyone knows about it. Yes. The conversation is key. You know, right. it's always the first step, most definitely. It's happening. But the next step would be, what are these products doing other than providing money for research, which is obviously huge, but education-wise, people are saying, okay, it's a problem. We know we need to fix it, but there's no real solutions currently. Right. And I don't think people really know how to empower themselves with an action plan. Awareness can only go so far. Exactly. I think cancer is so common, but people still, when they're diagnosed or a loved one is diagnosed, have this moment of, I still don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Yes. Tell me what to do. Helpless. Right. And that's that's definitely our mission <laughs> is to empower you all in, in whatever the disease state, hopefully you can prevent the disease in the forefront, but whatever the disease state is, we want to empower you to be able to drive control of battling and driving remission as quickly as possible. Right. And we know that detection is key. And a quick side note is, I think I saw on the news this morning, they, they changed the recommended age for mammograms from 40 to 45 because hmm. insurance companies are saying there's so many negatives from the 40 to 45 age yes. that they don't want to pay for all those negative results. Interesting. Which is horrific because the ones that are positive, we all know with breast cancer, early detection is one of the biggest components. Right. Well, and then there's the whole controversies, which we won't get into today about, about mammograms in total and, and exposing radiation to the breast and how preventative screens with mammograms can even drive potential radioactive activity in the breast and can potentially drive tumor activity. And so definitely manual breast examination is the first thing that we would recommend doing the lump checks and getting in by your OBGYN annually. So yeah, scary. A couple of topics we could go on tangents about right there, and that's some some recent news for sure. But beyond detection, the biggest thing would be, well, how do we prevent? What are the diet and lifestyle 
habits we can form, uh, changes we can implement to make sure we are basically setting us up for protection as best as we can. So Allie, I know you have a couple tips and tricks and just general information people know that that listeners are very interested in and anxious to get to. But before we get into all those details, tell us about the study that you were involved in with breast cancer. Okay, so I was recruited by Dr. Lorenzo Cohen, who is the director of the Integrative Medicine Department at MD Anderson, and it was for a research study positioned off of the book Anti-Cancer, and the idea of the research study was to do a triad, a approach of diet, exercise, and mindfulness, and within the mindfulness, there was yoga. Within the exercise, it was predominantly resistance training. And then the diet element is the part that I was recruited for, of course. And so I was to develop a food as medicine protocol for stage three breast cancer to help to maintain remission and be a complementary alternative approach to breast cancer treatment. And so we were catching them after their mastectomies and working with them in in my approach, we had six sessions of didactic or educational classroom information that I developed, and then six sessions of two-hour hands-on food as medicine elements in the kitchen. And so I think that's really important. And that was one of the parts I was really excited to delve into. You know, information is only as good as the application. And so just giving people these awesome recipes and, you know, teaching them about seaweed and all these fun, different functional foods and how foods influence their hormones and how foods help to detox only goes so far. But helping walk them through the experience of really getting their hands on, they were able to bring a family member to those sessions, was really empowering and and what we really were hoping to drive the the lifestyle change. And for those of you who don't know, MD Anderson is one of the leading cancer treatment centers in the country and it is located in the world. world. (laughs) I think they claim leading in the country, but yeah. Stand corrected. (laughs) And it's in Houston. So this is a very cool opportunity Ali had pretty much at the cusp of starting your company, Naturally Nourished. Yeah, I spent really, you know, six months delving into up-to-date research. As I developed the curriculum, I had to position all of the elements of the curriculum to a panel, to a board, essentially. And so I had to have evidence-based research for every element that I would include within my curriculum. And that really occupied, like I said, a solid six months of, of my research focus and, and I think was, was just an amazing opportunity and experience, definitely. So it's exciting overall to hear that one of the top leading institutes is looking into these alternative treatments and recognizes it's not all about these maybe typical treatments of chemo and radiation, which yes, are functional and maybe necessary a lot of times, but there's this whole other approach for prevention and treatment and you being a part of it and having food being medicine, something that hopefully is becoming a trend and, and entering into research and the, the medium is, it's exciting yeah. to say the yeah, least. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and it's a part that, again, the individual can be a part of, right? You know, I mean, you can be a part of recovering from a double mastectomy. You can do your movements to try to reduce lymph node swelling. You can be proactive in, you know, trying to nourish yourself post-op. But this gives you a piece to actually fight the beast head on. And I think that that's a really awesome tool. So this is exciting. Tell us about, tell the listeners about what the curriculum entailed 
and a little bit of the nitty gritty sure. of this protocol. Sure, sure. So, um, like I said, there were you know six sessions of, of educational, and those were an hour of counseling and educational materials that I developed. And then there were six hours of the I'm sorry, six sessions of two hour each session, hands on food as medicine. And so some of the examples I'm not going to go through all six, but I'll give you uh, two I suppose. Um, and so one of them, you know, one of the first sessions was on what is a low glycemic anti-inflammatory diet and then how does blood sugar influence tumorigenic activity what is insulin growth factor which is a lab that we commonly monitor for tumor activity in the body and cancer progression and what influences the igf factor so we were teaching them about you know this is what your doctor's looking at this is how what you put in your body influences this and in that initial session we would develop a customized meal plan for that client Then in the kitchen, we would talk about what are your best sweetener options? How do you tame sugar cravings? What are the effects of a blood sugar spike? And, um, you know, when we talked about best sweeteners, what is the role of diet sweeteners on your insulin response in the body, which I think is all too often overlooked, you know? We know, and, and, and I think we both have clinical experience with patients, that those artificial sweeteners can spike insulin levels higher sometimes with that Pavlov's dog effect where the pancreas gets that stimulation of the taste of sweet, responds with the insulin, and that's a pro-inflammatory hormone that upregulates you know, tumor activity. So it was educating them on how to tame sugar cravings and still enjoy foods, balancing out that fat, acid, salt, and sweet, which I learned a lot from Rebecca Katz and her, her matrix of those balance. So that was in the first session. Uh, another session that we did talked about navigating a food label and navigating the grocery store. So, you know, what are the priorities on the food label? Beyond calories, really looking at the carb to protein and ensuring that the fats were coming from a quality source. Uh, What ingredients could we identify to avoid that were class one carcinogens and preservative ingredients that we see in a lot of processed products? You know, a lot of the population in the research study were lower income, and so they weren't able to afford to shop at Whole Foods or a natural foods co-op. So we had to teach them how to navigate even processed foods. What's the kind of good, better, best approach? But of course, talked about the perimeter as much as possible. And then, you know, what are um, what's the role of even gluten and how it plays a role in intestinal enteropathy, that leaky gut, how that drives inflammation in the body and how inflammation increases cancer cascades. And then in the kitchen with that section, we would talk about soaking and sprouting uh, gluten-free grains. So some of them had not been exposed to things like quinoa or millet. Um, And so teaching them about different heirloom grains, teaching them about the mechanisms of antioxidants in the kitchen. So putting that fresh lime juice, that vitamin C on sliced apples or avocado and showing them that visual of an antioxidant preventing browning. And then um, teaching them how to replace some of these processed floured foods with whole food alternatives. So one example of that would be something like cornstarch, which many many of them were maybe using to thicken a sauce or make a gravy, and replacing that with kudzu. Kudzu is a root that we know that can be very anti-inflammatory and cooling and soothing, especially post-op can actually repair ulcerations in the body. So really therapeutic, really food as medicine, and experiential as well as uh, educational. All of that information is just, it's so cool, and I think it's so nice to hear all these new things that are not, they're just not known by everyone. So beyond cancer prevention and cancer treatment, I think there's 
pretty much everyone out there could probably agree that they just wish they knew this for optimal eating and for everyday health, not necessarily even cancer related. Yeah. And I think, I think actually after developing that, when I really pushed hard into naturally nourished, I actually had to drop out of the study because my, my own practice was growing so quickly. But again, I did develop the whole protocol. So it's being led now by another RD on staff. But I used a lot of those tenants in, in the optimal eating class that we have on Allie Miller RD. And I think that it really inspired me again. Yeah, I think this information needs to be out to the masses and it's empowering. It's exciting. It's new. And you feel like you're doing something to heal your body on a day-to-day basis. Well, it makes sense the things that would heal you in a state of vulnerability or sickness are also the things that you should do to prevent those things from happening. So it all is very synergistic. Oh, totally. I mean, we went through how to make bone broth, what are traditional nourishing diets, um, the role of organs, and it really we really dug people into a deeper level of, of food as medicine, especially when the, this was a population, again, that was hardly dipping their toe <laughs> into the pond, you know, and so it was, it was a really cool progression to see. It's definitely very cool. So in preparation for this study, I know you did a lot of research on hormones, and that's our whole topic for today. So let's talk about hormones. It's so controversial. People are hesitant. They're confused. They're reliant on doctors. They know there's imbalances. They know they cause other issues and very associated with cancer. So what are the risks and, and what are safe in terms of in hormones and interventions? And let's just give it a jump off of the hormone talk for today. Okay. So I I totally agree. I think it can be a very intimidating topic. And I'm also really saddened that a lot of my patient population suffers with hormonal imbalance symptoms. I mean, would you agree? I think so many patients are just, you know, dealing with their hot flashes or their fluid retention or their anxiety. Or weight gain or infertility. Absolutely. Sleep irregularities. I mean, there's so many elements of hormonal imbalance. And, you know, I think it's important, hopefully today we can empower you with the fact that you can work with your body to teach your body to balance out the hormones. And there are approaches that can be safe and even cancer preventative. So when we're talking about breast cancer, it's important to understand that the breast tissue is extremely sensitive to hormones. You know, especially we know as women, you know, when we're menstruating, we might have tender breast tissue that that week before in the ovulation or during menstruation, that's that estrogen fluctuation in the body, especially early first trimester of pregnancy, a lot of breast tenderness and aching going on. In breast cancer, the malignancy or, or the spread of a tumor arises in breast tissue, and and it's commonly influenced by estrogen. About 80% of the breast cancers express estrogen receptor dominance, and about 65% of them also have estrogen and progesterone receptor activity. And so I think that's a pretty high thing to think about. And so that's where when we've seen fear with with hormones, we commonly think, well, less is better. Definitely. And, And I think that goes along with a lot of things. Less is better. Um, but it's really all about balance when it comes to it in nature and what's natural. So estrogen overall, I think, is very under, misunderstood Sorry, totally, by most totally. people. So let's kind of elucidate that subject and explain to listeners what estrogen is made of, the, the three different versions, and how estrogen influences the body. Okay, so there's, there's three different forms of estrogen. There's estrone, which is E1, estradiol, which is E2, and estriol, which is E3. 
and estrone and estradiol are more dominant. Estradiol is the most dominant and the one that would drive the estrogen-dominant symptoms, and also the, typically the synthetic form that you would see in the form of birth control or during perimenopause or menopausal change. We're looking at estradiol in the form of things like estrase cream. So estradiol is the one when I'm looking at a hormone panel with patients that I do not want to see in imbalance or too elevated. If that one's too high, I'm really going to want to help my patient methylate or detoxify that excess estrogen due to the estrogen receptor risk. Now, estriol, it's important to understand, is what's called an estrogen antagonist. And so that really means that it is going to help to prevent estrogen dominance. It's actually going to have some estrogenic expression, can help with things like vaginal dryness, can help with things like dry skin and um, prevent wrinkling, but also can prevent that E2 from driving too much estrogen receptor activity, which would be that, that primary mechanism of cancer. And so, you know, the form, again, of E2 is, is the dominant form. It's going to overly express estrogen. And the E3 and even progesterone, progesterone in the bioidentical form, both have the ability to modulate the influence or, or basically influence the estrogen expression and are associated with positive clinical outcomes, which would be seen as the prevention of cancer. So Allie, what do you say to people or clients who come in and say, oh, I, I just got my hormones run. My estrogen's fine. It's in the normal range. Yeah. <laughs> so often it's, it's run through serum, you know, and often only estradiol is run. Uh, a, a common hormone panel is going to actually look at things like luteinizing hormone, LH, FSH, which is, which is follicular stimulating hormone. And we're not getting into those fertility elements today. That'll be a whole nother topic. But, you know, when we're saying that estrogen's normal, they're only looking at their estradiol. It's also a wide reference range. If you've ever looked at your blood work, it's going to give you different stages of ovulation. And often physicians don't look at if all of those hormones line up in the same stage, you know, whether it's the luteal phase, whether it is the ovulatory phase. And so, you know, you may have, if you have a moderate to low amount of progesterone and a higher to normal amount of estrogen expressed in the body, that's still estrogen dominance. So both can be within range, but they can be at the highest to normal and the lowest of normal. And the way that the body expresses that would be an imbalance. And so if you think of hormones kind of on a scale, they all work in waves up and down and there's all these phases. And yes. I think this is where a lot of the confusion comes in and why it's so hard to self-diagnose or understand what's happening because it's not it's not the same from month to month. Yes. It goes up and down and they Absolutely. all are in relationship to each other and they're you know, their expression depends on other hormones and it's not Most all definitely. about these quote unquote normal ranges. Right. And, and then furthermore, I, I'm not really a fan of serum, which is, you know, a blood draw to assess hormones. I am really a fan of salivary assessment. And that's really the gold standard with the Institute of Functional Medicine. That's the gold standard with integrative functional medicine. And the reason being is that the saliva helps us to look on a tissue or cellular level what's being expressed. Whereas the blood or the serum is really showing us just what's floating through the body. And again, we're not running that typically on any given time of the cycle. Whenever you see your physician is when they'll run it. Well, when we're running saliva, we're specifically trying to run during peak ovulation. So for a 28-day cycling female, we want to pick up from days 19 to 21 their salivary hormones. And so we're actually pinpointing a particular time of reference ranges and then looking at all of the hormones on the cellular expression level. 
I think that's so helpful for people to know just to put them, like we always say, back in the driver's seat of their own health and realize that you can't just go in and run your hormones and, yep. and say, is it normal or not? There's so many factors involved. And I think, you know, another thing to touch on real briefly is that often women go right to estrogen. I think progesterone's like the unspoken the unsung <laughs> hero. hero. Yeah, the unsung <laughs> hero of hormones. You know, often women are like, oh, it might be it might be my estrogen. And sometimes if they are running blood, they're only looking at the estrogen and then some of those, you know, like I said, fertility hormones. But progesterone is actually the one that has been repeatedly shown to have an inhibitor effect on the growth of tumors in the breast. So for women that are skeptical of hormones, a bioidentical, and I would, I would emphasize that, a lot of the oral medications from a standard physician are going to be in the form of progestin, especially, um, you know, most of them are going to be synthetic if it's progestin. You really want to look bioidentical. Progesterone and progestin have opposing effects, you know, so one helps to uh, prevent blood clots, one in- increases blood clots. Uh, and so, of course, the prevention would be the bioidentical progesterone. Um, And so that's another thing to think of is that it actually has been shown in research to prevent breast cancer, which is pretty awesome. I'm glad you brought up bioidenticals. Talk to us about the difference between uh, in hormone replacement therapy, bioidenticals and other hormones that mimic these bioidenticals and what the difference is. Sure. And I think, you know, a lot of this came to light with with the nurses study that came out a a couple years ago. I think now it might've been a decade ago. Wow. Um, (laughs) But uh, I don't have the year on the study, but when the nurses study came out, you know, prior to that, Premarin and Prempro were being really highly prescribed like in the eighties and nineties. And um, we did this research study. Well, I didn't, (laughs) Not, not this one, but the nurses study was done on a review um, that looked at women and their use of HRT, which is hormone replacement therapy, and the incidence of breast cancer and ovarian cancer. And there was a correlation found with HRT and, and cancer. However, you know, there was not a lot of research on if they were driving them estrogen dominant, also how often these women were being managed. It was really basically, oh, you stopped having your cycle, here's this pill. And the both of those medications that I listed are giving us conjugated synthetic estrogens as well as that progestin. And so again, these synthetic hormones do not have the same hormonal expression as the bioidentical and can drive hormonal scrambling in the body as well as undesired symptomatology. So they can work as like that that bandit on the volcano to maybe prevent the hot flashes because it docks to the receptor still, but it's not going to have the biological influence that a bioidentical would. And again, those bioidenticals, if we're talking about, for instance, estrogen, in a good prescribing bioidentical, they're going to give you 80% of your prescription in that E3 form and 20% at E2. So at Naturally Nourished, we only advocate for the use of bioidenticals, and I strongly advocate for the stopping of, of synthetic hormones for those reasons. And again, using the bioidenticals can help with the hormone replacement therapies to treat the symptoms just as the synthetics might, but the bioidenticals will reduce the risk for estrogen dominance and uh, estrogen-related cancers. So I think it's a really double win-win for us. And, uh, you know, when you're prescribing, ongoing assessment and treatment is really important because we know all too often that your sexual hormones, as you were mentioning, Carly, can be influenced by your stress, can be influenced by your gut bacteria, can be influenced by your situation, your life cycle. And so you have to really, if you're using bioidenticals or any hormone intervention, 
90 days in the beginning and then, you know, biannually or, you know, 180 days. And then at least, I would say always keeping it at least twice a year to, to assess hormonal treatment interventions. And just to clarify a little bit further, a bioidentical means a product that is made to I basically copy exactly your hormones identically. Right. A synthetic is just a tinge different than your bioidentical, enough to patent something because yes. you cannot patent something that naturally occurs in life, I guess. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's something to, to, I think that's a great thing to bring light to. So, you know, if it's FDA approved per se and it has a patent, if it's been made by a pharmaceutical company, they do have to tweak that to make it intellectual property, you know, to make it patentable. So cis uh, to transform yeah. in the organic world. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's Just the enough. same thing with like Loveza, you know, the, the fish oil per se prescription versus true fish oil. Um, and so, adding an extra ethyl ester compound on there may not be seen as beneficial in the heart health as, as your true fish oil. Same thing is seen with the synthetics versus the bioidenticals, totally. I think you can kind of see a, a tinge of business when you look at it that way. You can see how this can be a business, these Absolutely. hormones. Unfortunately, but, but it's true. Yeah. And so, you know, the interventions that we use uh, in our practice are, like I mentioned, bioidenticals, usually in the form of, of transdermals. Well, definitely in the form of transdermals because it's beyond our licensing ability to do oral but I am on board with oral bioidentical as well. We just have to use that with a prescribing physician or a nurse practitioner. And again, the estrogen would be in a bioidentical with an 80-20 blend being dominant, 80% of it coming from the estriol, which is that estrogen antagonist, only 20% coming from the estradiol to keep that balance in check. And then the progesterone coming in again, the bioidentical progesterone, not the progestins. We also would work with DIM, which stands for diindolmethionine. This is a compound that's taken typically as an oral pill. DIM helps to methylate or detoxify excess estrogen. So this can be used if we're seeing estrogen dominance, but we don't have to drive with E3. Maybe they have enough E3, but we just want to reduce their estrogen or just create balance in the estrogens. Uh, and also we would use I3C. These are Eindol 3-carbonyls. Actually, DIM is made of two I3C molecules, so this is just a little bit more gentle, a little bit less taxing on the liver. Um, and for people that tend to get headaches from use of DIM, I3C can be a little gentler approach, or I might start a patient for three months on I3C and then bring in the big dogs of the DIM. And then we can also use things like DHEA. DHEA is made by the adrenal gland, and this can be depleted by stress. DHEA converts into testosterone and estradiol. And so we can work with this as a hormone precursor to help to rebuild their hormone rebound. Okay, so other than these interventions, what are some things that people sh should avoid that increase an unhealthy hormone response or estrogen dominance? Oh, that's a great question too. So, so I definitely want them to avoid and limit chemical endocrine disruptors. And so that term basically means a hormone scrambler for the body, okay? And so endocrine disruptors can be in so many things. And again, the, the breast tissue is so sensitive to hormones that it actually can get overridden with these toxic compounds. And that's going to drive estrogen dominance, which would make us more vulnerable to the breast cancer and, and tumorigenic activity. So external chemicals are going to be things that are seen in xenoestrogens, which is a fancy word for synthetic estrogen compounds. Uh, these can be seen in uh, plastics, so beyond BPA. 
Plastics in general are going to, like any water bottle, um, canned foods are typically lined with BPA, but even BPA-free, again, plastic in general has a xenoestrogen element, so we're huge fans of stainless steel for your water bottles. Uh, Thytates and parabens, um, these are things that are going to be seen in cosmetics, so your makeup, your sunscreens, your shampoos, your lotions. Remember that the dermal tissue is one of your greatest areas for absorption, just secondary to the gut um, as far as absorbing compounds. So being really mindful of avoiding all of those in, in your products and choosing natural and organic products. And then also non-organic produce. Using that dirty dozen list is going to be helpful. The produce items that have thinner skins uh, also absorb a lot of liquid. So thinner skins are things like strawberries or apples or pears. Absorb a lot of water is going to be things like a cucumber or leafy greens. And then also things that are in the ground, like a root. Those are going to be the three families of foods that are most susceptible to pesticide residue. And a lot of pesticides and insecticides are laden with estrogenic or endocrine disrupting chemicals. I think it's crazy for, for people to think about this xenoestrogen concept. Really, yeah. there's literally plastic, which is so common oh, and, yeah. and everywhere, Wild. can mimic a hormone and really cause disruption in the body. I just want to take a moment and repeat that because I think people, this is one of those things that when we avoid drinking out of plastic, people kind of do the eye roll sometimes when yes. they're not in this like, world. Like, whatever, I do everything right. else. Like, you're cuckoo bananas, but they can disrupt your hormones. Absolutely. And, and you know, yeah, so when you think of like drinking juices, especially if they have acidic compounds like orange juice out of a plastic bottle, even if it's fresh squeezed, but it's been sitting in Whole Foods for five days, that's going to have a lot of estrogenic compounds because that, that vitamin C, that acid in that orange juice leaches out more of those compounds. So when you buy a smart, I don't even know what to the call it anymore, the frozen meals that you've Oh, yeah. <laughs> smart. Lean cuisine. Okay, no, whatever, whatever they are. <laughs> when you heat them up, it's beyond something with smart the something. ingredients. <laughs> it's the plastic. Yeah. And it's just something else to think about. I think this is why things can get so overwhelming because yeah. there's so much to think about. And, and then furthermore, because um, I know we're going to transition out of hormone talk, but furthermore, acknowledging that the body fat itself is estrogenic. And so that's where we're seeing, you know, with like men that have more abdominal belly fat are more prone to testosterone deficiency because their fat cells themselves are telling the body to make estrogen. And so that's also why we see a correlation of breast cancer and the higher BMI, the higher risk factor. And again, it's because the body's fat wants to have estrogen activity. And so we're learning that our adipose or fat tissue is actually functioning as endocrine hormonal glands, which is this totally new groundbreaking in the last decade research. And, and that's in itself, you know, another reason for a cleaner lifestyle. And that's why it can be so frustrating. Those that have a, an extensive amount of weight to lose, maybe they'll make some changes and expect things to happen pretty quickly. But the imbalance is so strong and that estrogen is so dominant that there's a lot of things going yeah. on beyond those diet changes that it really takes more time to see some changes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So beyond all these hormonal interventions, there's also food to help you fight cancer. Back on this cancer topic. Yes. What are some of these foods that people should really be eating regularly? So the first category of foods I would focus on are foods to boost your immune system. So, you know, the function of the immune system is to be the surveillance system of the body. And so in a healthy functioning immune system, if there is a foreign invader or there becomes to be abnormal cells, you know, dysplasia and, and, and dysfunctioning cells, which is the beginning of cancer and tumor formation, 
the immune system should upregulate its natural killer cells. And so its natural killer cells are going to be able to eliminate the tumorigenic activity in the body and stop cancer in its tracks. So things like stress, digestive dysfunction, and adrenal fatigue can all throw your immune system off track. So you have to think of a balanced lifestyle approach to support your immune system. Also, there's going to be food as medicine interventions. And so when we're talking about food to fuel the immune system, the first category I would think of is probiotic-rich foods. So these are going to be found in your kefir. Uh, I do a fermented red pepper sauce, which is really fun, where I just puree spicy peppers and bell peppers. And then I use a little bit of whey which is the liquid that gathers on the top of your yogurt. So make sure you don't spill that out. I, you know, some of you might say, oh, my yogurt sat in the fridge for a couple of days. This liquid, I'm going to pour that weird stuff in the, in the uh, sink. Don't do that. That's actually where all of those probiotics live. So you want to stir that into your yogurt, or you could use that to inoculate like a salsa or something like that, um, or a condiment, as I mentioned, with the pepper sauce. And then another one to mention, especially specific to breast cancer as a probiotic, is miso. So we generally recommend avoiding soy as a pro-inflammatory food, and soy in itself can be a phytoestrogen or a plant-based estrogen, so it can upregulate some estrogen activity. But soy has been shown to reduce breast cancer risk by 50% or greater. And so the way, I'm sorry, did I say miso or soy? Soy. Okay, well, miso has been shown to reduce its breast cancer, mm-hmm. the breast cancer risk by 50% or greater. And so, you know, miso is a fermented form of soy. In that fermentation, the estrogenic activity lessens, and we also get the probiotics, which fuel the immune system. So probiotics in general are going to help to upregulate that natural killer cell expression. The other category for immune-boosting food as medicine is gut supporters. So for supporting the gut or the GI tract, of course, we're going to first go to bone broth. Um, And we've talked about that already a couple times. Um, Bone broth is going to be made by simmering the carcass of a roasted chicken for at least 24 up to 36 hours. That's going to release glutamine and collagen and basically a facelift to the gut. So it's going to help to tighten the gut junctions, boost the immune function, And then vitamin-rich sources, especially vitamin D, I guess. I would look at things like the yolks in your egg from pasture-raised chickens. And then um, mushrooms are are a great source also of vitamin D. So just these strategic food choices are going to ensure that your immune system is aiding in the early detection and also the successful eradication or or the battle of, of the tumor activity. And just a side note, episode three, we talk a lot more extensively about probiotics. Yes, yes. Um, So beyond the immune system, though, there's another thing to focus on for breast cancer prevention and treatment. And one of the best things you can do is detox. Yes, I think detoxification is huge and and not to be spoken of lightly. Uh, An antioxidant-rich diet, especially when focusing on your sulfur-containing compounds, which really drive your phase two or the excretion process of detox, is going to be extremely important for fighting against cancer. And so also in episode three, we talked about sulfur. We talked about three functional foods, and two of them were probiotics and sulfur. So you guys are already listening and learning some trends, hopefully. And it's one of those things that if you hear it four different times, maybe it'll become a natural thought process. I actually heard from my my statistics teacher, this is one of my favorite things, you know, only certain things really stick with you. Uh And he always said... It's the rule of six. You have to hear something six times before it really sinks in. And I love that because it just justified me not really letting things sink in the first couple times. Totally. I think that's great. So for sulfur foods, we're looking at typically cruciferous vegetables, 
So things like Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, kale, broccoli, these all are going to be read as cancer fighters. And it's because, again, they help with the excretion of toxins in the body. So phase two of your detox support. Also your allium family. Your allium family is a fancy word for onion family. So onions, shallots, garlic, leeks, all of these have a rich source of glutathione and also quercetin. And this is a specific antioxidant that reduces histamines, so it can be helpful for seasonal allergy, but also cleanses the body on a cellular level. I think this is all super, super helpful. And in one thing to add on this subject of detox is that Allie did develop, based on her MD Anderson experience, she kind of took the protocol that she wrote and developed a DVD to kind of bring it all together and give people a resource who are looking for this cleanse and basically a jumpstart to health. Um, it's called Reset, Restore, Renew. It's a 10-day real food detox. And something really to note about this protocol is that if you do the DVD by itself, you're going to have a jump start to clean eating and have a really wonderful diet that's going to support all these biochemical processes. But if you do not do the detox packs that go along with it, yes, that's all what it I is, talk is about next. Yeah, yeah, all it is is clean eating. So it, it's good, but it's not going to have the phase one and phase two of detoxification that really give you a medical grade detox. And so, yeah, that phase one is the activation and the release of the toxins that were dormant or kind of sleeping in your fat cells. So you have to be low calorie to detox. You have to activate and release those toxins from the fat cells. And then phase two is the encapsulation and excretion or the removing of those toxins from the body. So we developed actually these supplement packs and they're called our uh, Reset, Restore, Renew Detox Packs. If you're looking just for generalized health, you could take one pack a day every night or every morning, however you prefer taking it. But in our detox class, it's a virtual class or a DVD, we talk about a protocol for a 10-day detox. And the packs include one capsule of an antioxidant blend. So this helps to really protect your body during the toxin release and has some anti-aging support. There is also a phase two supplement, which I'm sorry, phase one first. Phase one supplement, this is going to focus on that activation and release. So it's supporting your liver and your gallbladder, driving bile flow and aiding and trapping those toxins, aiding in that conversion of the fat solubility to water solubility. And then three capsules, so it's five pills total, three capsules of our phase two support because the phase two is going to provide the sulfur and the amino acids that promote the excretion of the toxins, uh, the reduction of the toxic byproducts in the body, and also work to improve your muscle and nerve function in the system. And it's important to emphasize that we have seen in cancer research, people that have increased phase one activity, which is that activation with inadequate phase two, which is that encapsulation and excretion, tend to have more tumor activity and higher risk for cancer because they're actively releasing toxins and the toxins are just embedding themselves in other areas of the body, driving free radical expression. Right. So the, the gold standard would be to do the whole 10-day detox with the protocol and the supplements. But yes. I have to be honest, I just had a client who came in, just got through uh, col colorectal cancer, a year of treatment, and now was cancer-free, but was not ready to take on this whole 10 days of restrictive eating even though it's not very restrictive, but, you know, structured, I guess yeah, is the word. Yeah, yeah. the whole lifestyle Restriction change. of alcohol, I guess, because sure. she just spent this whole year 
and quote unquote not living, which I completely okay. understand. And she really just wanted she wanted to detox. She was on board, but she just didn't want. She she's exhausted to be honest. She's has adrenal fatigue, has kids, doesn't cook a ton. And I said, you know what? To be honest, you can just do eating clean as much as possible with the detox packs. You're gonna get a lot of benefit. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that's that's a huge thing to acknowledge. Yeah, yeah. but mm-hmm. the gold standard, honestly, would be you that, know that eat, bell curve ten day plan. Yeah, yeah eat a lots of veggies and follow the protocol with the supplements. But you mm-hmm. have to meet people where they are. Absolutely. Again, you can't just put the information out there if you, without the application. It's absolutely lacking power. Right. So being realistic is always important to take into consideration. Yeah. So so today we talked about a lot of stuff. I, was, I, think, I, think, we, I think we loaded people's minds. Yeah. Everyone's probably at the high-powered hose time, so <laughs> mellow out. <laughs> so hopefully when you see all these pink in the NFL and on the TV and in the grocery store, you have a little bit of more information beyond awareness what to do yes. to prevent and to treat. Um, so we talked about hormonal health Elements of breast cancer, ways to balance hormones without the risk of estrogen dominance. I think that's huge, yeah. We talked about what can drive estrogen dominance um, as well as products and plastics and things like that. Um, How to support your immune system. And also, you know, the power of a medical detox to support your process. Absolutely. And I hope you all enjoyed today's content. As always, go to AllieMillerRD.com to subscribe to the blog. And you can click on the Ask Allie section in the podcast tab to submit your questions. If you felt that today's was valuable, give us a review on iTunes and also share this link with your friends. And stay in the conversation through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at AllieMillerRD. Until next time, stay nourished and stay clean, guys. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Carly at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.